Well, it was my honor this last week to get to sit down with my cousin, Fletch Wiley, and talk to him about his career and being nominated and winning a Grammy, and then also being nominated and being up against the unstoppable force that was 1984-1985 era Michael Jackson. And so he talks about that, and he talks about his love for Jesus and everything else, and I feel like it's a really good interview. I hope you enjoy, and please remember, go to dalewileyshow.com and like and share and everything else to get the word out about the things that we're doing here. So how yeah, are I, you, man? I'm, I'm excellent. I'm excellent. God, God <laughs> is good. God is good, and I'm, I'm awake, so that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Where are you these days? We, we live in Austin, Texas. We've been here almost 10 years. Well, you and, move uh, around so much that I just want to. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's, you know, our, my kids are like, Dad, can't you just buy a house, and stay one place? <laughs> I don't know. You know, the the first musician in the Bible was a guy named Jubal, uh-huh. and the one of the meanings of his name is wanderer. So I guess I'm uh-huh. prone to, prone to wander. So. <laughs> well, so that's where I want to start. Let's just go back and talk about, you know, how you got here. Yeah. Yeah. My my goodness, that's a that's an open ended question. Well, I was born <laughs> I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, in the fifties and sixties it was a great place to be for music. There was a lot uh-huh. of good music happening. Actually there was great music in the schools and I think I think there still is. You know, we're in Texas now and I've been in Texas for over 50 years and uh, the music music in the schools here is great. I don't know how it is in other states, but uh-huh. it's uh, it, it might be because of football. You know, you have to have a great band. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so it kind of goes hand in hand. But, yeah, Seattle was great. I had uh, my brother <clears throat> Rich, who you know, was a piano right. player, four years older. Uh-huh. So I was – I was forced to have piano lessons, you know, get my, <laughs> I'd rather go out and play baseball on Saturday, which I did anyway. But, and, and actually uh, the Cardinals were my favorite team, maybe next to the Milwaukee uh, uh, Braves, you know, with really? Hank Aaron okay. and all those guys, Del Crandall <laughs> and all those guys. But, um, yeah. but anyway, so I started on piano when I was five, but I hated it. I used to write. <laughs> I used to write uh, in Rich's piano books. Rich is a bitch, and the, <laughs> the piano teacher would open that and freak out, you know. And we'd have to get together. But, but when I was ten, I got a trumpet, and I absolutely fell in love with it. And um, I was either going to go to, uh, I thought, um, Annapolis and be in the Navy because there was a great show called Men of Annapolis on TV, or I was going to be a musician. So I I think I made the right choice both for me and our country by not going <laughs> to Annapolis. But, um, and then I, you know, went through uh, junior high and high school. We had the same band director and we had big bands in junior high, which was unheard of back then. But he was a really good jazz sax player and very encouraging to me about junior high and high school and 
you know, we'd have guys like Doc, Doc Severinsen would come stay at my house two years in a row. And, really? Yeah, and I got to ask him questions, you know, what, what's Miles Davis like? You know, he's a jerk. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, incredible trumpet player. And then you know, Henry Mancini came to our high school. So that's the kind of thing that we just we just had a, you know, I just had a sort of a, Amazing upbringing there of, of right. all these all these great well, players. And, you know, let's make sure to talk about your parents. Oh yeah, mom and dad. Well, they. My mom was a piano player and an artist, and uh-huh. uh, and my dad was Honest Al Wiley. He sold used cars and did <laughs> all right, you know. And he's also our. He's the relation between us. That's that's exactly right. He's. Uh, uh-huh. Now, w- would he be your great uncle then? Great uncle, yeah. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Great uncle, great aunt, yeah. And uh, did you ever come to our house in Seattle? I did not, although I met you when I was in Oklahoma City with Aunt Alice. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Little, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I we we got pictures to back that up. Yeah, too, we do. So. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, my parents encouraged me. Uh, they actually encouraged me to be a musician. They, they lost their minds, in other words. But, um, <laughs> but you know, back then, there, there, being a musician and so many different facets. And nowadays, it's, as you know, it's very hard to be a musician. Oh, yeah. <laughs> make, make a living. But you could do a bunch of different things besides teach and play. Anyway, uh, I, I used to go uh, twice. I went to these these camps called the uh, clinics called the Stan Kenton Big Band. Uh, oh, wow. Clinics. Oh, yeah, man. They, he brought his whole big band. The first one was in Lake Tahoe, probably in 63, the summer of 63, uh-huh. at, a, at, a, at a Boy Scout camp where I think a third of the people got ptomaine poisoning there. But, uh, <laughs> but it was right on, right on the lake, Lake Tahoe, and he brought his entire big band for like five days, it was unbelievable, and I was just fourteen, and uh-huh. uh, fifteen, and it was, you know, and my my trumpet teacher was a guy named Donald Bird, who was an incredible jazz player. Oh yeah, Miles Davis, Freddie Hubbard, you know, Donald Bird was there, so right. you were actually taught by these guys, and uh-huh. and he spent. Most of his time uh, moaning about the man taxing him too much. But, uh, <laughs> I think I actually saw Donald Bird years later. Yeah, he he went to Howard University. Had a band called the Blackbirds, and uh, incredible uh-huh. trumpet player. Uh, so this is, but they all kept talking about this school in Texas, University of North Texas. Back then, it was called North Texas State University, okay. and a little a little school in Denton, Texas. It had an unbelievable jazz faculty, and and more importantly, in the '60s, uh, because of the Vietnam War, it had unbelievable players going to it because they were all getting out of the draft. <laughs> and so I went there in 1965, in the fall of '65, and spent four years there, and you know, got involved in the music scene. And it, my first. Uh, when I opened, they, they called the big bands lab lab bands, and they still do. And the one o'clock lab band met at one o'clock, and it was the number one band. And I went to hear that band, and it just scared the pants off me because 
<laughs> you had you had the lead player with Buddy Rich, the lead player with Woody Herman, and the lead wow. player with Stan Kenton going to that school because they got out of the draft. So, uh-huh. you know that was that was fairly depressing because uh, I thought I was a hot shot player from Seattle, and uh, <laughs> so it was kind of a. Uh, do I do this or do I don't do this? So I, I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. I had a great trumpet teacher named Keith Johnson, classical guy. And he put me through my paces and really sort of reconstructed everything I, that I was doing. And, and I started practicing in earnest. And then uh, three years later in 68, I, I was a member of the one o'clock lab band that had such guys as uh, Tom, Tom Malone, Tom Bones Malone and Lou Marini, uh-huh. Lou, Lou Lou. Both played with the uh, Blues Brothers band, and of course, uh-huh. uh, Lou was still, he's like on the road with James Taylor and Paul Simon, and uh-huh. Tom, was in, Tom was in the Letterman band for 16 or 17 years, and uh, uh-huh. just an incredible band. Ed Soap was the drummer, and just uh, Bruce Fowler was the jazz uh, trombone player, and he's been Hans Zimmer's orchestrator for the last 20 years so wow so so those kind of guys and but and it was a wonderful time to be a musician uh, things you know things were just beginning to come to fruition the Beatles Led Zeppelin Blood right. Sweat and Tears Chicago you know there there were horn bands so if you're a horn player it was kind of cool to be a horn player at that time yeah so we had our own iteration of those bands coming out of North Texas and and, well, and uh, you actually did some arranging for the horns on the West Coast, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I well, I before I went to the West Coast, I, uh, you know, I got involved in the whole Eastern religion drug thing. It was almost like a, <laughs> a course of study in the '60s. You know, we uh-huh. were, we were very easy targets for all that being musicians, and of course, all the guys in New York had. Really bad drug habits, all the big yeah. jazz guys. So we uh-huh. we kind of said, well, the peer pressure was very heavy, and it was not a good thing. It was a horrible thing, actually. But we succumbed to that. I did, and most of the guys in the band. And so I spent about five years. You know, I was a I was a trumpet player. I started as a as a trumpet player who used drugs, and I became a drug addict who played a little music. Uh-huh. And it was it was a downward spiral. It was really tough. But in 1971, I, I graduated in '69, and I I tell people I went to Yale for about 10 minutes, and that was pretty <laughs> much it. But uh, you know, uh, and and the Aspen Music Festival, which was put on by Juilliard, so I I was a really good trumpet player, and I went uh-huh. there, but I but I was using drugs heavily, and so after about a month. I decided I just, you know, I, Yale was not for me, and I was, I was gonna, I was gonna move to New York City, but luckily I was redirected back to Dallas, and, okay. uh, and I met my wife, uh, Catherine, and we yeah. were married in April. It'll be 50 years. Can you believe that? Dan? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. It's it's only by the grace of God, honestly. <laughs> in, in in 1971, October of 1971. Um, I was kind of at a low point in my life, and I was, pl- but I was playing with some guys, uh, a guy named Bill Maxwell, great drummer and producer, Harlan Rogers, Hadley Hawkins, Hadley played with Neil Diamond for like 35 years. Oh wow! Great players, and uh, we had a band called Third Avenue Blues Band, and they'd all become Christians, and I was like, man, 
that's the last thing. Oh, you can't be a jazz musician and a Christian. Stuff, you know? <laughs> so, so anyway, they 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 cornered me, and uh, we were playing a club in Tulsa, and said, "Okay, here's the deal," you know. Uh, and they brought this 400-pound drummer, Pentecostal preacher, with them that, of course, had a had a Cadillac, you know. So that was. Uh, <laughs> And the, the first thing he said, well, do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin and rose from the dead? And I'm like, let's talk about that. I thought he was going to sit on me, you know, or something. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and it was a, it was a very interesting story because I was at a very dark period in my life. And But, but we used to love to go to Tulsa because Leon Russell's band, you know, Leon. Oh, yeah. Band, oh, yeah. And his band would always come out and... Uh, they they grew their own marijuana, which was great marijuana. <laughs> you know. So it was like a a, a treat. Uh, I hope I'm not getting anybody in trouble here. No, it's okay. okay. The no, statute of limitations has run out. <laughs> so we were waiting in the club, and you know during the breaks we'd go out and get high. Well, they never showed up that night, and I was like, what is this? I'm being set up here, you know. So of course these guys said, well, why don't you come out to the this guy's Cadillac, and we'll uh, we'll we'll read the Bible. It's like, oh no, man. So <laughs> so I did that, and uh, uh, long story short, at the end of the night, I, uh, I I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was healed, and it, you know, it was like twelve hours later. I was like, what's happened? I don't even know what happened to me, but it was uh-huh. something that changed my life for the. And I'm just so happy to be a believer today and and uh you know that that kind of changed the trajectory of all our lives oh yeah uh, so a a year later we were we'd become uh we moved to la and we became uh, andre crouch's backup band a guy named andre Uh crouch and the disciples a great uh gospel singer and and songwriter piano player yeah and so tell me about those days It was was an interesting time because in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, there was a thing called the Jesus Movement, which actually was on the cover of Time magazine. And it was quite a a great awakening. Uh, A bunch of us hippies, and I mean, we were hippies, uh, (laughs) just God kind of sovereignly uh, reached out and plucked us out of that, said, you know, now you're going to follow me. It's like, oh, okay. And we did. And and it was uh, it was outside of the church. It was happening on the streets. Was, you know, I got saved in a nightclub. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it was just a really beautiful time. So uh, Andre had grown up in his dad's church in Pacoima, which is this kind of not great uh, suburb in San Fernando Valley of L.A. And uh-huh. Just uh, so it was a very different upbringing than I had. You know, I didn't grow up in church, but we sure. became we became his band, and he is just this wonderful guy, unbelievable songwriter, piano player, and uh, you know, Billy Preston was in his first band. Oh wow! And, uh, yeah, it was called the Kojic Singers, Church of God in Christ, uh-huh. and um, so. We 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 didn't know what we were getting into. We just went out there, and he was starting to become quite famous in church circles. And so we started to travel around the country. We went to Australia, New Zealand, and the Pacific Islands a couple times with him. And and so it was sort of my formative years as being a Christian. And 
the early days of contemporary Christian music. So right. kind of a lot of things were happening at that time. Groups were forming, and it was it was a very pure kind of thing because there we didn't make a lot of money. I mean, I think <laughs> I was I was making 150 a week, and out of that they gave me 25 dollars a week. They came out of my pay for my food money for the week <laughs> on the road, you know. So, uh, but it was, but it was a great time. We we loved it. Uh, well, I thought it was a big deal that you were with Andre Crouch when I was little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we the first first record of his that I got to do as an arranger. Bill Maxwell was the producer. He was his drummer, uh-huh. and uh, we. We started to do, we, we found out that you could do, before that, all of Andre's records, and most records, uh, it was it was the, the changing of the guard from uh, what they call simul music, which sure, uh, sure. The, the orchestra, uh, the, the band, was recording with the singer in the studio at the same time, because you had to. There was, uh-huh. everything, everything went right to tape, uh, a, a quarter-inch tape. Yeah, and there were there was no what they called overdubbing, you know, redoing parts and fixing um, things. It was all live. Everything was live. And at this point, with the advent of multi-track machines, everything from uh, in Oklahoma City, they there was a studio called Benson Sound. They had a three-track machine at one time, uh-huh. which was this this huge Ampex machine. I mean, it, it was it was huge, and it was only three tracks, but that that was uh-huh. like Oh wow! You get an extra track, and then, <laughs> yeah, then they had an I think an Ampex uh, eight track, which meant you could do uh, maybe drums on two tracks, guitars, and and you could do vocals. You could do different things, and you could also punch in, meaning you could fix parts. Right. But, but then the uh, the golden age of twenty four tracks track machines dawned in the early seventies, uh-huh. and uh, you know, that was just a, a revelation that you could do that. So we started to do rhythm tracks, piano, bass, drums, guitars, uh, and then you you do that in one session, you know, and that would take uh-huh. a week or three days, uh-huh. however yeah. much money you had, you know. <laughs> and then uh, you'd come in and you'd, what they call overdubbing the horns, and then you'd overdub the strings, you'd overdub all the vocals, and you could do that because you had these extra tracks. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and I got to arrange that record. I had no no idea what I was doing, but uh, Andre was impressed that I had a college degree. So uh, <laughs> so he asked me if I could do it, and I lied and I said, "Of course," you know. So, but it was it was great fun, and we, of course we had wonderful players, all the great studio players. Uh, Joe Sample playing piano, Larry Carlson, Dean Parks. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, playing guitars and uh, great uh, horn sections. So, and, and, you know, wonderful string sections in L.A. So that made it a lot easier and made my made the things that I did sound better. And that record went on to win a Grammy. So that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You eventually so anyway. won one solo, right? Two. Is that right? No, I I never won a Grammy. I I got nominated two times for children's records as oh, okay. produ- producer and arranger, and uh, that was fun because it was in eight, nine, 1984, eight, actually 1985 for uh, a record, and it was that was the year that Michael Jackson did uh, 
his children's record. He did Thriller and he did the children's record. Oh, what was the record? I can't remember. But because know. he won seven Grammys, so because of that, Kathy and I got tickets on the seventh row, and we were. It was, <laughs> it was an actual TV award because Michael Jackson was in the award. So that's awesome. Uh, that was a that was a ball. But um, yeah. yeah. But the, after that, I you know I started to do my own records for a little label called Star Song Records. Started to do jazz records and uh, started to produce other people. Never did anybody really big. It was all sort of in the Christian market. But sure. um, for a little label called Star Song Records in Houston, and um, so you know it was it was did a lot of uh, arranging for horns and strings in uh, London. Uh, in the 80s, 70s, late 70s and early 80s, and uh, continue to do that into the 90s. And so there you go, man. Well, at one point, weren't you also out with the Who and James Brown and other people on the West Coast? Uh, you know that I I did play not not I played on a concert with the Who. I didn't play oh. with the Who. I played with oh. Her, Herman's Hermit. <laughs> and uh, that was fun, and it was because I was home from, uh, I was in Seattle, and they needed a trumpet player, and uh, so I played with those guys, and then uh, another, it was probably the same summer, like 67, uh, Stevie Wonder came to town, and because uh-huh. I knew all these, I, I played with all these black guys, and, and uh, you know, the first band I was in was called The Bishops, and the... Uh-huh. Um, the, the guy, I think I was 14, and the guy came out in a, a choir robe, and we, he sang James Brown tunes. So uh-huh. that was that was probably 1962. So, <laughs> but at 67, uh, yeah, we got to play. I got to play the only white guy in the band. They needed a big band, like two trumpets, trombone, and five sa- five saxes. So that was wow. <laughs> and the, the reason that it was really fun is I got to meet uh, Gil Askew that did all the arranging for the Motown artists back then. Oh, and wow. So it was it was still little Stevie, but he was about 6'1 at the time. I think he was 19 maybe or something, but <laughs> but such a nice guy. And then, you know, North Texas, I got to – because North Texas was just a school of unbelievable players. We could read anything. Uh, and Tom, Tom Malone somehow – became the contractor for Motown whenever they needed really? anybody. So we did a tour with Gladys Knight and the Pips and the Supremes on the same tour. And, <laughs> wow. And it, was, and it was a complete big band, you know, uh, five trumpets, five trombones, five saxes. And then they had the, their own rhythm sections, but we toured around Texas. So that was just, you know, just sort well, of one-off that thing. Time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And so at what point did – you know, I guess then the kids happen, and tell me about your kids. Oh yeah, well I uh, I'm I'm known as the uh, father of Seth Wiley and Gabe Wiley. <laughs> yeah, and, now, and Peter Wiley. And yeah, now now the father of Peter Wiley. That uh, uh-huh. you know they're all kind of blowing up in their own way. And uh, Gabe, our our firstborn, was a drummer for about twenty years, and his band Mineral. If you're into emo music, you would know Mineral from the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean they they had they didn't have great success back in the nineties, but in the last five years they toured the world twice. You know. Yeah. So uh, 
with their band, and uh, they just got back from South America. So, uh, and then Tess, of course, was in Six Sense and then The Richer, and she lives in Germany now. And uh, check out Tess Wiley on YouTube if you want to look at her videos. Yeah, she's just awesome. I mean, you know, I got to know her a little bit, and man, she's a phenomenal musician. She is. I'm, you know, she's the musician of the family, really. Tess Wiley. (laughs) And then Peter Wiley uh, is is in the. label music label business he's got a label called house arrest and it's uh-huh. just tearing it up and uh, uh being quoted on billboard and uh so check out house arrest records or fat possums who both of those uh he's got his fingerprints all over so we're really proud of our, <laughs> proud yeah of our he's kids. and he sends the fat possum records and it's so fun yeah. make it all on a vinyl now oh great well check out Everybody's- house arrest yeah, I will, no doubt. But so I guess that my question is, what should you tell everybody about, you know, what you've learned in your life? Oh my, it's 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 fairly easy. Uh, you know, the greatest thing that's ever happened to Kathy and I is becoming Christians, and I mean that in the in the truest sense. Uh, not necessarily being a part of a church, although that's that's a huge part of it too. A, a good church. There there are there are good churches and not so good churches. <laughs> so yeah. and I and I say that you know with a lot of love, uh, uh-huh. but but we've uh, you know we've grown in our faith over the years and of course made tr- tremendous mistakes and we we serve a God that is just a God of grace and mercy, and for our own personal lives and personal mistakes and. He keeps wooing us back to himself, and uh, right. in the the latest iteration, Dale and I, you probably have seen this, is that we are involved now in music missions, and uh, we're, we've gone on the road. We just started yeah. last last fall, 2019, and we took a nine week trip. Uh, as my wife likes to remind me, nine weeks in one day. Because, uh, <laughs> it was it was challenging. Uh-huh. And uh, but it where was did so you go? Rewarding. We went uh, to Turkey, Turkey, Egypt, and Albania, and those were uh, two weeks each of street ministry, where we joined up with some other musicians. I'm a jazz player, but we joined up with some guys who sing and and play. And in in Turkey, it was it was mostly in parks, playing, uh-huh. parks, and we just set up and play. You kind of don't ask permission because they won't give it. Uh, <laughs> but the the you know the welcome was just phenomenal, and Kathy, my wife, was with me, and they just uh, she was like a magnet for all these kids, you know, college kids and high school kids, and they they knew she was not she was not from them parts, you know. So uh, <laughs> yeah, if we were playing, they would just flock to her, and you know, they'd want to know, do you do you like us? Do you like Muslims, and so of course we love Muslims. That's why we're here, and we right. just wanted to share the love of Jesus with them. And so that was phenomenal. A couple of times we got our passports taken by the secret <laughs> police, and uh, I, I have to say that today, ironically, as we speak, they're just recovering in a little town of Elazig and Malacha from a 6.7 earthquake. So wow. pray for pray for those guys. It's uh, 
it's a it's a tough time. Just today, just happened over wow. overnight. So, and then we went to Cairo and we we toured up and down the the Nile River. That's where life happens in Egypt, and uh, mostly played churches and schools, and that was great. And then we went to uh, Tirana, Albania, uh-huh. and played played town squares there in Tirana, and that was wonderful with a, a pastor there, and and up in the little villages and. Albania is just this beautiful uh, country that's right on the Adriatic Sea, right right across from Italy, and not you know pretty poor, and they uh-huh. they suffered earthquake recently too. So uh, pray for them. And wow. Then, then we flew overnight to Lagos, Lagos, Nigeria, and there we uh, hooked up with a church, and I sent music ahead, you know, all my jazz music, and I had. I had two bands there, one for a Saturday night concert, kind of the A-team, and then the other was a Sunday morning church service, two completely wow. different bands, and they memorized my music, Dale. Unbelievable. <laughs> and this is not easy jazz music. Yeah, either, definitely. But unbelievable players. I mean, they're just monster players. They all love Jesus, and it was just such a wonderful time. They just treated us like royalty there, you know. So, is there any chance to record with them? You know, Dale, I've been thinking about that. I'm, I'm in the throes of putting another record together, and uh, I'm going to reach out to these guys and see what the possibility is to do something like that because it would be it would be phenomenal. There, uh, I mean, honestly, I, these guys can play anything. Some of these guys were like the some of the greatest players I've heard. There's like four or five drummers I heard. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. So, wow. uh, so, and then uh, that was a week, and then we spent the last two weeks in Pretoria, South Africa, at a music school. We'd been there four years earlier with Bill Maxwell and his wife, Kathy, and I, and uh-huh. it's a, it's in a township. Now, townships are kind of the, the ghettos there in South uh-huh. Africa. And they have black townships. They have what they call colored townships. That's not a derogatory word in South Africa. That's just a class of people. And they have white townships. And it's it's uh, tough there because there's so much crime and drug use. But they had built this music school in this township in Pretoria. And so I spent two weeks writing arrangements and rehearsing for a concert we did the night before we left. And... Um, uh, I don't know if you have uh, those, if you can put those uh, videos up on your website, but I have two videos sure. I can send you. Yeah, uh, please do. Yeah, and you can put them on your website that are from this concert. And, you know, a lot of these are kids that play in the schools, and the the conditions there are tough, you know, just to get people out to rehearse. One of our cellists is just dedicated. I mean, he, he had to take two cabs. And then a uh, Uber just to get to the rehearsal. Now cabs are these these uh, vans where people are hanging out, you know. And they're just they're literally hey, the doors open and you have twelve to fourteen to fifteen people on the cab, you know. And he's got his chill up too. So uh, and we had to give him cab fare just to get there. So it, it's it's tough. It's not like America where you just you know yeah it's, we're very casual about everything. It's right. Uh, they have a new government in South Africa. They're very happy about the last couple have not been not been good for the country, you know. But uh, uh-huh. they're very excited. So that's that's what we're doing now. We're going to 
Costa Rica uh, in in March. We're going to Cuba with an orchestra. Really? Yeah, wow. in uh, late April, and, uh, and and I'm the featured soloist with this orchestra, and very excited about that. And then uh, we'll go back to South Africa and work with the students at the school. It's the Swane School of Music. I'll send you the name that you can check yeah, that out. And, uh, yeah. And then, then we're probably going to go to Europe, which I'm very excited about. And just because Tess is in Germany, but there's a fellow in France that wants to do some stuff. And, you know, oh, that's just, fun. Yeah, praying for a renewal uh, of the church there that uh, there's, you know, in our sophisticated kind of cynical lives, we can forget about God. Sure. But God, God's ever present. He's everywhere, and he, he really is calling us back to Himself. So I'll, I'll send you all these links, man. You can yeah, please do. That's yeah, wonderful. yeah, man. It's so good. It's so good to hook up with you. And I, I, I need know. To get, up, get 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 back to the farm, man. See everybody. You, you need know? to. Yeah, definitely. We'd love you anytime. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> So anyway, that's wonderful, and thank you for spending a little time with me. Is there any website that you want to mention or anything? Well, people can just go to uh, – it's just FletchWiley.com, and I have a website that I, I need to update. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but, yeah, there's, there's okay. music there. There's some old old videos there, uh, some good stuff. And uh, if they want to send me an email, it's just Fletch. Dot Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at gmail.com. Okay. I'd, I'd love to hear from folks. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. God bless you, buddy, and God bless All your right. family. All right. Same here to you. All right. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.